0: I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. We will return now to our series on Paul's theology. We're we'll looking at, as you'll pick up on soon, on the doctrine of glorification. I'll be working my way, different passages here within 1 Corinthians 15, but. I'm going to read now verses 50 to 58. Hear now the word of the Lord. I tell you this, brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, we do thank you for your goodness and that you have revealed these truths to us. And we pray now, Lord, by your Spirit, that you would teach us and direct our hearts, that you may receive all the glory and your saints may be edified. In Christ's name, amen. Well, in our series here on the Apostle Paul and his life and theology, we've been emphasizing the theology of salvation, and we've looked at the different aspects of your salvation, what we call the order salutis, the order of salvation. You have election being chosen by God in eternity past, just as a way of review. Regeneration in time. Our hearts are changed. We're given a new nature and we're born again. You have conversion. We repent in our, of our sins and believe the gospel and justification where we're declared righteous. It's a, a legal transaction. We're declared righteous and we're forgiven by faith alone. We talked about adoption, that we are the children of God brought into His family, and sanctification, the process of growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, growing in holiness. And that process that we go through, and that we are going through now, the process of growth into Christ-likeness continues, and, it, and we persevere in it. Um, God preserves us until that day in which Christ returns and takes us up to glory, And speaking of Christ, we need to remember, as Nathan taught us a couple weeks ago, that all the blessings of our salvation are in Christ, in union with Christ. Union with Christ is the fountain out of which flows all the spiritual blessings of our redemption. We are united to Christ in His death, and we are united to Christ in His resurrection. And so, union with Christ, it's the foundation upon which we build our blessed hope that someday we too will be resurrected, that we will be glorified. And that leads to the final doctrine in the order of salvation, our glorification. Now, the Apostle Paul um, teaches that those who are united to Christ in His resurrection will rise. Both those who have died before he returns and those who are still alive when Jesus does return. We're we're taught this in 1 Thessalonians. We read there, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ, united to Christ, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Those who are united to Christ in his resurrection, that passage tells us, will be glorified. That's our blessed hope. And by hope, we don't mean, oh, I hope this happens, it's actually a certainty. Um, we're not saying, gee, I, 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 there's a possibility this may happen. It, it's a certain expectation. It, it will happen. It, you can bank on it is the idea. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. He, he speaks of glorification in the past tense as if it's already happened. It, it's stressing its certainty. For those of you here who are united to Christ, for those who are regenerated in Christ, those who are justified in Christ, if you've been adopted into Christ's family and are being sanctified in Christ, you will be glorified. It is a done deal. That's the final step in this order of salvation, your glorification. As I said, salvation spans, remember, from eternity past with election uh, and to eternity future with our glorification. And so that's what we're going to discuss this morning, our glorification. Now, before I do, there is one thing I want to point out here. Since the Bible speaks of our glorification this promise, this certainty of our glorification, and speaks of it in the past tense as if it already happened, then it makes no sense at all for you to think that there's a possibility that someone who is a true believer of Jesus Christ can lose their salvation. We will persevere. God will preserve us. I want you to think about this. For a true child of God... A, a, a true believer, a true Christian, for them to lose their salvation, for, for you who believe in Jesus Christ, for you not to finally be saved in the last day and be glorified, this is what would have to happen according to Scripture. God would have to unglorify us. God would have to unsanctify us. He would have to unadopt us. He'd have to unjustify us. He'd have to unconvert us. He'd have to unregenerate us. He would have to unelect us. It's foolish to think it will not happen, beloved. Christ has given us eternal life. This is what John 10 says. And no one can snatch us out of his hand. And the Apostle Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are united to Christ and we will never be separated. You didn't save yourself. And so you cannot unsave Yourself, Since God united you in Christ, you will always be united to Christ. Since God chose you, you will always be elect. You will always be regenerated. You will always be justified and adopted and sanctified. And someday you will be glorified. You will never perish. That's good news. Some of us struggle with assurance for for really believing. Sometimes we doubt. Uh, Real Christians can doubt. When you fall into sin, maybe you've said to yourself, maybe I'm not saved. What are you to do at times like that? We all struggle with that. When you have uncertainty about your salvation, what are you to do? Well, what you don't do, I'll start there, is you don't look inward, And try to find the answer to this dilemma that you're having at this crisis at the moment, and look into yourself and say, "Well, I I must be a believer." Because if you look inward, you'll just see your deceitfulness. You'll 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 see that your heart is deceitful. You'll 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 see that you struggle, and and all you'll find within you is despair. See, when we struggle. When we when we struggle with having that assurance of our salvation, what we need to do is look outside of ourselves and look to Jesus Christ. In Christ is where our hope is. In Christ is where we find assurance. In, it's Christ in you. This is what Colossians says. It's Christ in you, beloved, that is the hope of glory. And so you look outside of yourself to Christ. You'll never lose your salvation, but when you are having doubts, look to Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished. Well, that brings us to our passage this morning. you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15. If our salvation is dependent upon being in Christ, if our resurrection, if our glorification centers on the person and work of Jesus, then Christ himself must be raised from the dead. And that's how Paul begins 1 Corinthians 15. Look at the first four verses. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance. Here it is. The most important things. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the truth in which we stand. Christ dead, buried, and risen again. And so you see, if Christ hasn't been risen, then you have no place to stand. There is no hope. That's why Paul, beginning in verse 14, says this If Christ has not been raised, and our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. And then he says, verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And See, what's Paul saying? A faith that's built on a dead Christ is a worthless faith. It's not enough that Jesus came to earth and was a good man. It's not enough that he's an example to you. It's not, it's not enough that, well, you know, that Jesus, I follow him because he did miracles and he started this really great movement. It's really not enough that he even died in our place. If he did not raise, we are of all people, Paul said, to be pitied. You are wasting your time here this morning. You should have slept in. Your, your faith, I, I need a new job. Your, your faith is futile, Paul says. You're still in your sins if Jesus hasn't raised from the grave. All this talk about your regeneration that I mentioned, all the talk about justification and your conversion and and being part of God's family and and the fact that you're growing and, and then this promise of a future glorification, all it is is wishful thinking. The whole Christian faith stands or falls on the reality of Christ's resurrection. And so that is why when we come to verse 30, we we find the important word, but. But. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, who better to testify about the, the truthfulness of the resurrection than the Apostle Paul? You remember we started our series here. And we, we talked about Paul's encounter with Christ on on the road and he was, uh, kicked off his donkey and he, and he saw this light and Christ spoke to him. Paul was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. That's why he begins 1 Corinthians verse 6, that Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive. They can testify, he's saying, and, and some have died. And then he appeared to James, and he appeared to the other apostles. And in verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Jesus is alive, beloved, and so we do not believe in vain. And so that's why Paul first establishes the fact of the resurrection, because it's the foundation and ground upon which the believer's resurrection and glorification is guaranteed. And we have a great eyewitness someone who persecuted the church, someone who wanted all Christ followers dead, what changed? He saw the resurrected Christ. And so, yes, Christ has been risen. And if God glorified and raised Christ from the grave, Paul's argument is he will also glorify and raise you from the grave. It's not possible for us to remain dead. otherwise jesus is still in the grave and god is a liar either we will be resurrected if we're believers or god is a liar but paul says it but in fact christ isn't raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep christ went first he paved the way and someday we will follow And so having established the fact of the resurrection and obviously Christ's resurrection in particular, Paul goes on to now teach us several things about that future hope, our glorification and our resurrection. Here are the four things. First, our glorification will result in changed bodies. And we'll take a look at that. Second, our glorification will happen at Christ's return. Third, our glorification will result in victory, and we'll take a look at what that means. And then fourth, our glorification should motivate us to live now lives of holiness. And so we're going to look at those four things. First, it will result in changed bodies. Look at verses 50 to 53. See, what what he's going to get at here is he's going to say our present bodies are are not fit for heaven, for some of us, they're not fit for earth either. But here, his, for here, he's talking about our heavenly bodies. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, he says, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And so what he's getting at is our bodies need to go through a change. They must become imperishable, or as the King James says, incorruptible. And this means that they will not wear out or grow old or ever be subject to any type of sickness or disease. Our resurrected bodies will be as good as God intended them to be from the beginning. And one theologian says, "Heaven, in heaven we will have the characteristics of youthful but mature manhood or womanhood forever." And so our bodies will not only be raised. They'll be raised imperishable, incorruptible, but they'll also be raised, Paul says, in glory, in power, and spiritual. Now turn back to verses 42 and 43. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Glory, power, and spiritual. Now, glory here is contrasted with dishonor. It means our our bodies will no longer be unattractive, but they'll be glorified or glorious in their beauty. And power is contrasted with weakness. Our our resurrected bodies will not only be free from disease and decay, they will also be given fullness of strength and power, not infinite power like God. We're not going to be Superman in heaven or superhuman, not superhuman strength, but full power that is sufficient to do all that God desires us to do in conformity to His will. Where we fail regularly to keep his will in heaven, we won't have that problem. Our bodies will not stand in the way. Our bodies will be powerful. And third, you have spiritual bodies as contrasted with our natural bodies. He contrasts this. uh, He makes this contrast as well. He's not saying our bodies will be non-physical. They will be. But as one writer says, consistent with the character and the activity of the Holy Spirit. That's how our bodies will be. Our new bodies will be completely subject to the desires and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's, I, I realize this is like hard to comprehend, especially when you think of it in Jesus on earth, because that was true of him on earth. You know, he, every decision he made was in perfect harmony with the Holy Spirit, perfect harmony with the Father. And so our new bodies will be completely subject to those desires and guidance. We often give in, but we won't any longer. In heaven, we will no longer battle with sin. We'll do God's will perfectly. Our desires will always be his desires. We will be completely free from the presence of sin. Put it this way. In in our justification, what happened? God saved us from the penalty of sin, which is death and judgment, right? In our sanctification, God gradually frees us from the power of sin. There are sins you still commit, but there are many that you have left behind. He's freeing you from the power of sin. Well, in our glorification, he'll free us from the very presence of sin. And we'll no longer be under the subject its control. Our resurrected bodies will be spiritual, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. That's what it'll be like in glory. Well, Paul tells us one more thing about our changed bodies, which sums it all up. They will be like Christ. Verse 49. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Now the man from heaven is Jesus. And so our bodies will be incorruptible, glorious, powerful, spiritual bodies that are like Christ's resurrected body. 1 John says it this way. When he appears, talking about Jesus, when he comes back, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And see, that leads us to our second truth about our glorification. It'll happen when he returns. That's when the glorification happens. Look at verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. When someone dies, I think it's important um, to remind us of this, because I think at funerals sometimes or memorials we can get confused. When someone dies, despite popular belief, they're not in heaven, body and all. And, and, And their bodies actually go to the grave, and that's where they are in the grave, and their spirit goes to heaven. But when Christ returns, as we just read, which is what is meant by the last trumpet sounding, when Christ returns instantaneously, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised, and their spirits and their resurrected bodies will be rejoined. And they will then spend eternity with God in heaven. And so our glorification doesn't take place at death. It takes place at the second coming of Christ. And so that's important to remember. When Jesus returns, Paul teaches that death will be conquered. And, and, And that is our third point regarding our glorification. It will result in victory. And so when the perishable, we're told in verse 54 to 56... When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know all too well, all too well that death is our enemy. It is our enemy. We grieve. And we rightly grieve when someone we love or, or know dies, when a loved one passes away. And even as believers, and maybe you've experienced this this and, and you worry about it, but you fear death. Why? Because we fear a mystery and there's some mystery to it. Yes, we're getting told some things that we can pull back the veil a little bit, but it's a mystery. And so we fear death and then we have doubts. And death is kind of Final. And, and, and so we get doubts. And it causes us so much anxiety, pain, and suffering. But all that will be gone at the resurrection. And at Christ's return, death will be swallowed up in victory. It will be swallowed up in victory. No more pain, no more suffering. I'll mention that in a moment. But it does beg the question, you know, if, if Christ paid for sin and he conquered death, which is what we just read here, uh, why do we have to die then? He paid for our sins and he 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 conquered death. Why don't we have to? Why do we have to experience this death? Well, to answer that, I'm reminded of an illustration I've used um, in several sermons before I was here, but I'd like to tell it now. It's told by Donald Gray Barnhouse. Dr. Barnhouse was a great, if you don't know him, he was a great, famous Bible teacher in the 50s. He was once pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church. Uh, You could still hear him on the radio. And he tells this story um, that when his wife was in her 30s, he lost her to cancer. And on their way to the funeral, his daughter asked him that question. If Jesus died for our sins, Daddy, why do we still die? Why did Mommy have to die? Well, that day they were driving to the church, and the sun was shining brightly, and Barnhouse noticed and pointed to a large truck that kind of roared past them. And he asked his daughter, he said, tell me, sweetheart, would you rather be run over by that truck or its shadow? By the shadow, she replied, it can't hurt you. And he nodded to his daughter and said, did you know that 2,000 years ago, the truck of death ran over the Lord Jesus in order that only a shadow may run over us now. Your mother has not been overrun by death, but by the shadow of death, and that is nothing to fear. You know Psalm 23. Although we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we shall not fear, for he is with us, his rod and his staff. They comfort us. You see, beloved, It can be difficult, but we have nothing to fear. Even death, even death has no hold on us. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. If the Lord tarries, it is true that if he doesn't come back today or tomorrow or sometime soon, uh, many of us will run into that shadow of death. But who fears a shadow? That was the. Point. You are victorious in Christ. His victory is your victory. And so let me summarize. Assuming you die before Christ returns, your perishable body, your corrupt body, will go to the grave. And when Jesus returns, an incorruptible, glorious, powerful body is risen and joins with your spirit. Death will be conquered and you will spend eternity with God in glory. That is your future hope. And see, the truth is that future hope that we long for, uh, that, that should bring joy to our hearts when we think about it when we see all the misery in the world to know that it'll be gone, it should also, though, do more than make us feel good. It should motivate us in the here and now to live faithful Christian lives, which is our fourth point. Look at verse 58. Therefore, therefore, in light of everything I've just said, therefore, in light of all the truths that that when Christ returns, you will be glorified, therefore, my beloved brothers, here and now, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Do you ever feel like your labor is in vain? You kind of have a dead-end job. I was talking to a police officer. It said that, it, that um, his job seems helpless or hopeless. I guess you would say, where, you know, he puts one criminal away, a hundred more rise up. He, he arrests one drug dealer uh, that's guilty of causing the death of hundreds, if not thousands, and hundreds more take his place. Nothing ever changes, he said. Well, beloved, that is not true when it comes to your labor in the Lord. It is not in vain. It is not worthless. God is indeed watching James says this, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And Jesus says in Matthew, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And so that being true, that there'll be this reward, is that anyone that Paul writes in Colossians, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. If you're an officer, work for the Lord and arrest that, uh, that criminal. And do it unto the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving in every occupation, you are serving the Lord Christ. Spiritually speaking, though, your prayer life is not in vain. You're, you're witnessing to a neighbor and telling them about Jesus. It's not in vain. Your, your demonstration of love, your demonstration of mercy to a neighbor or a friend or a colleague. It's not in vain. When, when you suffer for Jesus, somebody mocks you maybe or they say, I can't believe you wouldn't do that because of Jesus. It, it's not in vain. Your work in the Lord is not in vain. You will be rewarded. It's promise. You know, I quoted earlier 1 John 3, 2. We shall be like him. When he returns, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is what it says next. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And then he says, so be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Your future resurrection should motivate you. It it, it, it should fill your heart with passion to, to diligently obey and serve the Lord. Well, in closing, in light of all that, let me answer just one other question. We got some details of what happens to the believer when uh, they die. It's important information. Like I said, we, can't, we don't remove all the mystery, but there is some of that taken away, so we don't have to fear as long as we trust the Lord. Well, what about the unbeliever? What happens to them? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. He tells us in chapter 5 of John, for an hour is coming, he says, when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so when he returns, there'll be a a reckoning. And Paul says the same thing. There will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And so like the believer, if you're here and you're an unbeliever, uh, if you don't believe in Christ, you don't believe he died and that he rose again, your body, when you die, and you will die, it will go to the grave and you'll await the final resurrection like the believer. However, unlike the believer, your spirit goes to hell awaiting final judgment. And it's not, it's, I'm not being rude. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you what the Lord teaches. And when that trumpet sounds and 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 Christ returns, your spirit and your body, unbeliever, will be joined. And at that moment, you will kneel before Christ's throne and you will wish you had never been born. You will wish you had never been born. This is what Scripture says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and he will say to the sheep on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. You'll be glorified, believer. Unbeliever, he will say, depart from me, you who are cursed, until the eternal fire prepare for the devil and his angels. They will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. See the, see, the difference here between eternal punishment and eternal life is not that one person was better. It's not that I became a pastor, so I earned it, and I'm sorry you didn't off to hell. That's not the case. It's belief and unbelief. It's belief in the death and the resurrection of Christ, or it's unbelief. I do not believe that. And so if you're here or, or you're watching online and you haven't committed your life to Christ, it, if if you say, well, I haven't believed that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that I, I'm not sure, I haven't believed that he rose again so that I can be declared righteous and the penalty for my sin can be taken away and, and that I could be adopted into his family. If you haven't done that, why? Why test God? He lays it out for us. He doesn't give us all the details, but he lays it out for us. If you don't believe this is going to happen, what you're saying is God is a liar, Do you think that Jesus is a liar? This is why you can't just have Jesus as your buddy, but not as your Lord and Savior. Because Jesus, your buddy, says, if you don't believe in me, you will perish. And do you think he will not judge you and cast you into hell? Why? He says he will. So don't be foolish. God does not lie. It's real. It's true. This is going to happen. I know the world tells you differently. I know here I am up here preaching this, and I could be out in the world with people that aren't saved, and I can start doubting it myself. And so that's why we gather. That's why we're here. That's why we need the Word to be reminded that the world, the flesh, and the devil will seek to deceive us, but we don't have to be deceived. The Word of God is true. And if you're an unbeliever today, you don't have to remain one. You can come to Christ and be saved, and you can place all your hope in Him. And you can know, as we know as believers, that every member of God's family, everyone who is born again, everyone who's united to Christ, everyone who's converted, everyone who's justified, everyone who's adopted, everyone who's being sanctified can be assured, as Revelation tells us, that God will make his dwelling with you, that he will live with you, that you will be glorified. Here's what it says, that God himself will be with you and be your God, and he will wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Don't challenge it. Believe it. And believer, take hope in it. They're trustworthy and true. You will be victorious in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word of promise. And although we walk through this valley of the shadow of death and oftentimes we do fear, we pray that you would strengthen us with this blessed hope that Christ will return and that he will glorify us. And there will be no more suffering, no more tears, and no more pain. Amen.